or preview of what I'm talking about this morning and uh, I want to take a, a few moments to explain a little bit about our series today, uh, especially for those of you who are coming in for the first time and wondering what all this is about and what's it addressing. But uh, what we've been talking about in these past few weeks and what we're going to be talking about right up until Easter Sunday is the difference that Jesus makes. Now you might have heard before the idea that you know, Jesus uh, is Lord and Saviour or, you know, saves us from our sins and, and understand that that's the kind of difference that Jesus makes. And that would be true and, and that would be something that we'd want everyone here to accept and believe and receive and to know about. Uh, but uh, what we also want to talk about during this series is the difference that Jesus' ethic, if you like, or his teaching uh, has made to not only the society that we are part of, but also uh, in our life together uh, as uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. And when we were putting this series together, it just so happened that the topic that was coming out today was looking at the difference that Jesus has made to the lives of women and children because of the things that he taught, the things that he said, but also the things that he did in the way that he included uh, those two groups into his ministry uh, and into his mission in the world. Carl Fays is a well-known communicator and presenter, a Christian minister who has put together uh, a book and some research called Jesus the Game Changer and it's available for you to look at, you can do that. Uh, but when he was speaking to us just then, he was drawing on uh, particular incidents and events and teachings in the, in the Bible that I'd like to share with you now and then talk about some of those implications. Uh, firstly, uh, the point that he was referring to was the key place that uh, women had in the mission and ministry of Jesus. And right at the start of this process, uh, Luke, in his uh, story about Jesus' life, uh, makes this point. He said, After this, Jesus travelled about from town to town, village to one village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. That, that's 12 blokes. Uh, he picked as his disciples, uh, representative of the 12 tribes of God's original people, but also some women who'd been cured of evil spirits or diseases. And then he names them. Mary, uh, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, I think you say it that way, the manager of Herod's household, and many others. And, and Susanna and many others. And these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So when you spend your time going around, you know, preaching and ministering and praying for the sick and doing that kind of thing, you don't have a lot of time for work. Uh, I guess I'm uh, a bit of an example of that. So by God's grace, I'm supported by uh, the giving of this church. Thank you, Jesus. Judy says, hallelujah. It's great to have an income when we're out there doing mission in this way. But these women recognised that the same was the case for Jesus and his 12 disciples and they used to provide out of their own means so that they had something to eat pretty much and could get shelter. And one of those, uh, Joanna, was actually um, the wife of the manager of Herod's household. So she was uh, basically, her family was right up in the centre of power at that time but somehow, through the mission and ministry of Jesus, she'd come to become a supporter of his financially and in his mission around the world. 
So Jesus' impact uh, on the lives of a variety of people, including these women who'd come out from a variety of circumstances, was quite significant. And they were right there amongst the action, enabling Jesus to move about and to bless people with his teaching and his healing ministry at that time. We also heard from Carl Fays that uh, Mary uh, was at the very centre of the resurrection of the Lord uh, after he'd uh, been crucified three days earlier and that she was actually the first person uh, to have Jesus revealed to her. And it's a, it's a very moving story about how it happens and there's something in it for us as well as we read through it. It said, Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she bent over to look into it and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And Mary said, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was him. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. So the first person and following on from this story, uh, it's often said that Mary preached the first sermon because she went back to the disciples and said, he is alive. At this stage, that'll run back to just say something's happened, the tomb's missing, the body's missing, the tomb's empty. But it's Mary that actually has the encounter with Jesus. And as we uh, reflect on this, I want to encourage everyone here today that it's one thing for me to tell you about Jesus. It's one thing for your family and friends to tell you about Jesus. But we acknowledge here today as a church that every single person needs a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. We're not here organising this meeting just so people are going to come along and we can say it's fantastic this many people came to church today. That's not the object of this gathering. The object of this gathering is so firstly, of course, Jesus will be worshipped, but so that people will have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. We believe that by the power of his Holy Spirit, it is Jesus' will and plan to reveal himself to every single person sitting here today. That you don't have to say, well, my friend's a Christian and I'm just tagging along, or, you know, I was raised in a Christian family, so, you know, I just go with it. But that every person here has the right and the privilege to expect that Jesus will reveal himself to you by the power of his Holy Spirit, will convince you that he is who he said he is, that you will have the opportunity to say yes to him, to place your faith and your trust in him and to become his follower like thousands, millions of people have done over the years and like these women did on the first occasion when they saw Jesus Christ. In the same way Jesus speaks the name of Mary, he speaks and is seeking to speak your name. And until Mary has that personal encounter, she doesn't know who Jesus is. She's seen him before, but in her grief, in her despair, in her stress, 
as she's trying to work out what's happened to him, she thinks the guy speaking to him is the gardener. And often when someone is talking to you about Jesus or maybe you're reading about Jesus or hearing about Jesus and you're thinking about that person that's speaking to you, you're trying to work out who's communicating to you, the temptation is, perhaps without God's Holy Spirit, to just say, oh, look, they're just the gardener, or, you know, they're just the pastor, or they're just the carpenter, or they just came to, you know, fix my telly. What do they know? You know, how do they know anything about the living God? Why should this story be any different? But it's when you feel that God is speaking to you directly, when you almost maybe hear him speak your name, that then revelation comes. The ability to say yes to Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord and Saviour, to be his child, receive his provision, receive his forgiveness, comes to you through the power of God's Holy Spirit. And we just want you to know today that it is God's desire for every person to have that encounter. We're not sitting here as a church saying, oh, just repeat this, believe that, think this. But instead, it's our desire that everyone would be like Mary and then when they hear their name spoken, when they feel the power of God's Holy Spirit, they say, I see Jesus for who he is. I realise that he is the Lord and the Saviour of all the world. So what happened to Mary, we want to suggest, can happen to everyone here today. And we want you to open yourself to that and be available to that. Jesus reveals himself to Mary, his disciple, his supporter, and she responds by speaking out his name. Now, the next uh, occurrence here uh, was... um, one that Carl Fay's referred to as well, which has been preached and talked about in many different ways over the years to make various different points. But there's one that we want to assert today that uh, we feel is quite applicable coming from this particular story. It goes like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, I think as we reflect on this little episode of domesticity, Uh, Many of us have found ourselves probably sitting in one of these particular positions at some point in time. Uh, You might be a person who is very good in the kitchen, uh, likes to make preparations for hosts, and uh, you're thinking that you're Martha today. You're in that place, you're working your tail off, you're getting something ready uh, for uh, someone who's coming over, and um, you're uh, getting a bit flustered, a bit frazzled uh, by what's going on, and uh, you're starting to look around for some help uh, and the call goes out. Maybe you're the person who's never in the kitchen. You're hiding somewhere, somewhere else. I won't tell you about my identification. You can just have a think about that. But maybe then you hear your name called out and you know, you think, well, I'd rather be doing what I'm doing now instead of this, uh, helping out. So I'm just going to pretend uh, I'm now hard of hearing and uh, you know, I can't hear anything and I'm not sure what that's all about and nothing happens. So then, depending on who's in your home, if you're Martha, you're going to enlist someone's help to get some influence to happen over that person. 
Now I'm thinking of uh, something like mother, father, daughter. There you go. Uh, currently describes the uh, living arrangements of the uh, Bland household. So it goes something like, tell Emily dinner's ready. Okay, so now I'm Jesus. I've really shot up in this equation. I've gone through the roof now. And uh, you get sent down as a messenger to get some response uh, and to uh, get some, some cooperation going. Um, so... Martha goes to Jesus and, you know, when we read, as Carl said, the case that she's pleading, we're thinking, you know, she's on solid ground here. She's got a big meal to prepare. You know, Mary is uh, doing nothing. You know, uh, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. And, um, you know, we think surely, you know, the Lord, the king of hospitality is going to be telling her to get off her tail and get into there and do something. But he says something very interesting. He says... No. <laughs> and instead, he starts to lecture or teach Martha by saying, you are worried and upset about many things. Now, at this stage, I think Martha's face is either turned to surprise or shock. Maybe it's their steam coming out of her ears. But a few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now, what Mary has chosen has been the result of various discussions. Firstly, it's obvious, she's decided to be with Jesus. She's decided to be in the presence of Jesus. And we can quite happily say, as often as preached, that, yeah, there's lots of distractions in life that take us away from the presence of Jesus. Lots of things that keep us from church, lots of things that keep us from worship, lots of things that keep us from reading the scriptures. That's absolutely true. And Jesus encourages us to prioritise that process, that activity, to, to make a priority of not being overwhelmed by life and its, its jobs and its distractions, but instead making sure we give time to worship. The creation of a day off was Jesus' idea. Many parts of the world don't have it. If you visit overseas to some countries, there's no weekend. It's a true story. It's... It's a gift of God, literally, that we enjoy. We enjoy it so much in Australia, we doubled it and then we added public holidays to it just to make sure that we weren't missing out on our days off. Four weeks leave, long service leave. It's absolutely magnificent living in Australia. Who agrees with this, folks? <laughs> Praise the Lord. If the new Liberal government announced it was going to tamper with that... Oh, hang on, they have... No, anyway, uh, then there'd be... I was going to say hell to pay, but <laughs> that'd be funny in church, wouldn't it? But um, anyway, so, you know, the, the, that's, what our, that's what our time's off for, is to worship, to reflect. It's a beautiful gift to have, not just to goof off or do more work. So Mary's made this choice. Jesus has said that's really good. But there's an undercurrent that is going on here that's not as obvious. Martha is also saying we believe she shouldn't be in this position. She's a woman. So am I. And our work's here in the kitchen, so she needs to come and help with me. Mary is not just sitting at Jesus' feet, but the place where she was at the time was a very important position. It was basically being in the place of a learner, of a disciple. She had stepped into what at that time was a man's realm. It was seen to be only that men could be disciples of teachers or followers of teachers. And here was Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he was saying, while her sister 
is performing her traditional role, she comes in to put the clamp on Mary to get her to help out. And Jesus said, no, she will not be released to help you in the kitchen because she is sitting in a position where I am welcoming her into as my disciple, as a learner, as someone who is understanding all that I want for her. She has made a good choice and I will not bounce her out of here to fulfil some other plan or vision that you've got for her, even though you're her sister and even though she'd be fulfilling a traditional role. Some of you are aware that in some cultures in the world, women are banned from being educated. Here, Jesus breaks the mould and says, no, she can stay in that position and she can be my disciple and my learner. So our message here today is for everyone that everyone's invited to be that disciple of Jesus. Everyone is invited to be a follower of Jesus Christ and that we are speaking against and breaking down any stereotypes or typecasts that would keep them away from that position. We also read later on in Matthew a similar event when it came to children. We read here in this particular occasion that uh, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I'll tell you why they were talking about that in a moment. Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble who believe in me, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hang around their neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. You might say that's the negative version of the blessing that we prayed over the parents and the families here today. I want to just go back to that early situation there. And this reveals a couple of things that we do find a little unusual, but at the time of Jesus... In the Greco-Roman world, it was expected and normal that you would talk about how great you were. Now, we hear that and think, especially as Aussies, mate, are you kidding? (laughs) We have a thing called the tall poppy syndrome, which is the antithesis of that. So we don't really understand it. But in that time, it was normal to say, well, you know, I've done this, I've done that, I've got this, I've got that. You know, I'm great. And the disciples had slipped into that mould and were having a debate amongst them. Who of us 12 do you think is going to get those one and two positions at the right and left hand of Jesus? They had conceded that Jesus was number one, God bless them. But they were angling to work out who was going to get to stand with him and uh, rock those two positions. There might be some people today who were elected to parliament yesterday who are thinking about where they're going to be in the new Liberal government that's coming our way in South Australia. So these guys, the election, as far as they were concerned, had been won. They were going to get into Cabinet. They were in the 12, and then they were trying to work out who was going to get the best ministry. Would it be Sport and Rec for me, or will it be the Treasury? Who's going to get that? I think Judas had the Treasury ready. But anyway, so 
So then Jesus, instead of responding to this whatever, grabs a child who, as Carl Faze has alluded to, at that time had no standing or worth before they turned or moved into adulthood in any way whatsoever. They were so neglected and despised that uh, they, if they were not fitting into the requirements of the family in terms of when they were born, they were just left to die, literally. It was an awful, awful thing, an awful um, attitude at that time. But Jesus instead takes a child and says, this child standing before you actually reflects the attitude that you must have in order to come into the kingdom of God and to receive everything that I've got for you. And for them to look at that child and to think, hang on a minute, what? And to try to understand what Jesus was saying, two things were going on. Firstly, they were getting an attitude adjustment. My mum used to have an attitude adjuster. It was wooden. (laughs) Jesus didn't use one on this, but he was giving the guys an attitude adjustment. (laughs) And he was also lifting up this child and saying, this child is actually worthy of me. This child is actually a disciple of mine because the child is dependent, is trusting and is in need of love and care and nurture. Therefore, they fit the description of a disciple, of a member of the kingdom of God perfectly. And if you're a person who describe yourself as self-sufficient and I don't need Jesus and, you know, I'm in fact going to have a little think conversation with myself about how great I am, then you are erecting a block and a barrier towards receiving what Jesus has with you. And I want to suggest to you that's really sad because what Jesus offers us is unconditional love and acceptance, is forgiveness and grace and mercy for every wrong thing that we have done and every wrong thing that has been done to us. And he releases life into us that we cannot experience or find or discover from any single other person or event or occurrence anywhere in life. And I don't know why a person would want to say no to that. I understand the things that keep us from God, but Jesus is affirming the life of children amongst us, but not only that, their attitude and their dependency and their responsiveness to him that we often lack for one reason or another as adults. So I want to encourage you with that thought here today that Jesus wants you to respond to him as a little child would respond to him in the same way. Final story that um, Carl Faze refers to before we move to our summary here today is this teaching that the Apostle Paul writes about in his letter to the Ephesians church. And... um, He often gets a bad rap, as Carl said, for one reason or another about some of his teachings, but this one stands out among many others in terms of his call to men in relation to their uh, relationship of husbands to their wives. He says, husbands, love your wives. Okay, well, it's not over the top, is it? I mean, that's that's all right. We, We can run with that, love your wives. That's not too bad. Judy and I celebrated our... 28th anniversary yesterday 
by... Uh, thank you very much. By watching the state election. Jude was on the couch reading a book. I was watching the state election. I said, Jude, how can we do this? We're 28 years married today. This is... She's going, I'm fine. I'm fine. Mate, she's reading a book. She's in heaven. She doesn't need to talk to me to celebrate. So I watched the state election and shared my anniversary with Stephen Marshall. 28 years. What are the jokes, Jude? No sign of parole. You get more, less for murder. Anyway, it's great to be married and it's great to be in love, isn't it? So husbands love your wives. Okay, we can, we can get at it. But then he, then he starts to go a bit weirder. He starts to say, just as Christ loved the church. Now, why did he have to bring Jesus into it? And gave himself up for it. What does that mean? Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. What? He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. So at a time when husbands generally looked upon their wives in a certain way, which wasn't often complimentary, when they you know, might be intended to think that you know, they owned them or they could just you know, tell them to do this or that, Paul just says, actually, what I want you to do, followers of Jesus, you who are husbands, is to love your wife in the same way that Jesus loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? Church. How did Jesus love the church? He laid down his life for it. I think, Judy, we could say even shorter than that, he died for it. So, fellas... If you'd like to love your wife as Jesus loved the church, you get to die first. Literally, if necessary, metaphorically, theologically, that is the call that's upon your life from God's word. Sacrificial, dedicated, devoted Loving your wife as you love Jesus. As Jesus loved the church and as indeed you would care for yourself and nurture yourself, so you are called to do the same for your wife. So Paul gives this instruction and places this call upon Christian men and the way that they should honour their wives and it causes us to then reflect at times on uh, some teaching or some thinking that seems to come out that at times seems to call upon the scriptures as justifying male behaviour towards women that's completely un-Jesus-like. And I know this is something that we don't necessarily talk about a lot as a church, but I really would want to confront men today here in this place and confront anyone who's relying on the fact that they're a Christian and they've read something in the Bible that gives them some sort of justification for being violent or aggressive or disrespectful towards their wife in any way. And if that is you, 
then I want you to know that there is absolutely no justification for it in the scriptures and it is totally against the teaching of Jesus Christ. So just to make that clear, I know that sounds a bit heavy, but from time to time we do hear about it. So if you're in that position, I'm saying to you now, stop doing that, repent and turn from your sins in Jesus' name because there's nothing in our life together as a church that justifies the aggressive, disrespectful, harmful, hurtful, physical or otherwise, treatment of women by men. Are we clear on that today, church? Is that okay to say that? Because I think we need to say it at least once in our community just so that we're clear on that. Secondly, what I would like to say to women, if you are in the position where you are being treated poorly, harshly, abused, disrespected, and you are finding some justification in the scripture to continue to endure that, then I'd like to say to you, stop it. You do not have to put up with that in a place of safety and security that your home should be. And you have my permission and our permission to leave that place until it is safe to return. Do you hear me on that today, church? And if you need help with that, then Judy and myself, and there are lots of people here who will provide that. So we would never, ever want to have anyone thinking that anything like that has got some sort of justification or foundation in the scriptures because it's wrong, it's a lie, and I've just showed you how it's contrary to what Jesus and his prime teacher is calling on the church to do as a body of Christ today. And similarly, along the same reasons, when it comes to children, Jesus said clearly that anyone who would step into that space of causing one of those little ones to lose their faith and their hope and their trust in him is actually better off dead. He said it, not me. So folks, again, as a community, we want to make it absolutely clear that we love kids and that it was, if there was ever a child that was in danger or being abused or whatever, then as a church it is our intention to do everything we can to prevent it and to take steps to put a stop to it. Are we agreed on that as a Christian community here today? Okay. Folks, I want to finish with this scripture and then we're going to pray. And it again comes from the Apostle Paul. He said this, quite simply, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. That was a traditional delineation between God's original people and everyone who wasn't, they were called a Gentile. Neither slave nor free, a very definite difference in society at that time between those who were free and those who were slaves. He said that delineation doesn't exist in Jesus Christ. And then he has this one, neither is there any male or female. Now, Paul wasn't abolishing the genders before our eyes here today. <laughs> what he's saying is that any sort of separation of groups based on the gender that someone was born with in relation to their relationship with Jesus Christ has been dismantled or abolished and finds no place in the community of Christ followers that he was calling together. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. 
And so the call of God on the lives of believers here today, men and women and children, is to step forward into the life and love that he has for every single person here today. To rise up and be the learning disciple that he has, that he's calling for everyone to be here today. The invitation is given to everyone. You might say, ah, but I'm this. We're all one in Jesus Christ. But I, no, there's nothing we can put up to Jesus and say, I'm excluded, Lord. He says, no, everyone is welcome and everyone is invited to step in to this space in Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite our team to come forward as we prepare to sing a last song. And I'd like to just lead you all in a prayer, if I could, right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are gracious and merciful, that you are kind and loving, and above all, that you have allowed every single person here today, men, women and children, to step into your presence, to be your disciple and your follower. And Lord, I thank you that you were one who welcomed everyone to walk the path of following after you, no matter their circumstances or their station, no matter where they felt they were placed in life, you said, whosoever will come shall eat and drink of me and receive my spirit into their hearts. Lord, I thank you for calling every single person here today. And Father, I want to especially pray for those here today who might have ever thought, I don't know if, if I can follow Jesus. I, I didn't know it was for me. I wasn't sure. I don't think I can do it. I'm, I've got these issues. But Lord, I want you to reach out to every person here today that has not yet said yes to you, that perhaps has been away from you for a long time, whatever their situation is, touch them right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Touch their heart, Lord. I pray that they would hear their name being spoken like you, by you because you know exactly who they are. You see where they are, Lord, and you are inviting them to step into your presence right here and right now. And Lord, I thank you that people are here today for a reason and for a purpose. I know that there are no accidental invites or acceptances or, or anything of that nature here today, but you have called everyone into that place. And while we're in this attitude of prayer, while everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I do want to make an opportunity for anyone here today who wants to receive Jesus into their heart, who wants to say yes to him and who wants to become his follower. While all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, I want to provide an opportunity for anyone here today who wants to say yes to him. If you would like to receive Jesus, if you'd like to be saved by him, if you'd like to be his follower, 
I just encourage you to raise your hand so that I can see it and then we're going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come out the front or do anything like that. I just want to provide an opportunity for you, if you've heard the call of God on your life, to raise your hand and say, Pastor David, I want to be included in that prayer. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Just going to give a few more moments. If that's you, don't hold back. Say yes to him. Raise your hand. And we're going to pray for you in a few moments' time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just one more opportunity. If that's you, you can raise your hand. You can make that commitment. And we can pray for you right now. Father, I believe there are people here this morning that have come close to a decision for you today. I believe they're standing at the edge of a cliff, as it were, and they're wondering who's going to catch them if they drop off. Who's going to catch them if they jump off? Who's going to receive them if they say yes to you? And Lord, I pray that you would reassure people this morning that you would touch their hearts this morning, that they would know that you are a safe, loving God, that you are a good God who holds out his hand and says, come, receive, believe, accept, be forgiven and walk with me. And Lord, I thank you for those that are in that space who are now curious, who want to know more about you, Lord, I just pray that they would see that you are the one that invites all into your presence today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.